I've been thinking about this for a while now. Uh, I feel like when we get to the place where we start to preach the word, the focus kind of shifts to me, and I feel awed about that. I know I'm supposed to preach. I get that. But I've just been feeling for some reason I just need to back away from the, from the, the pulpit and just allow just a minute just to recognize that this ain't my word. This is not my instructions or my guidance, but this comes from the word itself. And so, would you guys just entertain my quirkiness this morning and let me just back away and just allow this pulpit to be honored by the one who needs to preach from me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Where would we go? What would we do if we did not have your word? We'd be a lost people. I thank you that your word is not just a spoken word, but God, it's a written, tangible word that we can read, that we can read for ourselves, and that we find correction and we find encouragement and there's not one situation in life, Father, where we cannot go to your word and not know what to do. No matter how complicated this world makes things, Father, the simplicity of your word is, is so powerful. It pierces every issue that we have. And so, Lord, we bring our issues to your word today. We pray, God, that you would do, but only we desire you to do. And that is to speak to our hearts, give us life and understanding, Father, how to be your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 37. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 37. It reads, on that day, on that day, Jewish day started at sundown, so it's going to be kind of dark out. When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, um, took him with them in the boat just as he was. And as other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Have you already, have, have, you, have you ever been traveling in life doing the right things, I guess I could say. You were doing the right things, not disturbing anybody, trying to keep a peaceful life, trying to live, uh, you know, a humble life, and out of nowhere, things just hit you. You ever had an experience like that? Or is all your life pretty calculated? You know, sometimes you wake up, and all, all of a sudden, you come back from Thanksgiving, and your refrigerator goes out. You know, that's always a good sign of what's to come. You have hospitals that show up a year later that's equal to the amount of a next week's paycheck. You're someone close in your family gets sick. Your kids come home with some serious life challenges. Your employer is talking about making changes. Your dog gets sick. Your house encounters some serious need of attention and $100 bills won't fix it. Or someone hits your car in the parking lot and leaves no note. Have you ever had a week that just, that just happens? 
Or, or, or do you guys live that true American life? That serene life, that good life. It's hard sometimes when you're living life and somehow you look around and say, how in the world did my anchor get stuck in the storm? How did, I, how did I end up here and how come I can't get out? The disciples, they were doing what the Lord said. They were going where the Lord told them to go. They were literally walking with Jesus. And as they were walking with Jesus, at a great personal sacrifice, they had to leave everything behind. And as they were doing that, all of a sudden the reward was for things to go wrong. Have you ever said, Lord, I thought I was doing right. I, I don't know about y'all, but I've said that many times. I thought we were good, Lord. I thought we were good. What's going on? If we were good, then how come all this stuff around me is, is happening like it's happening? And so today I want to talk to you and begin a series dealing with spiritual warfare. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we need your guidance and your counsel. We need to understand more importantly, Father, your heart for us. There will be times, Lord, when we cannot make sense of your hands, but I pray always that we make sense of your heart. Lord, in Jesus' name, be with us. Amen. Spiritual warfare is a topic that some people um, love to hear about. It surfaces in Christianity from time to time, obviously. Some people are uncomfortable about it because it can get a little weird. You know, I've read stories about people going uh, up in buildings to 60 flights up because um, he's the prince of the power of the air. If we're going to cast Satan down, we have to go up in the air and do it. You know, it gets wild. It gets crazy. And so, uh, but you know, I'm sure that meant something to them for some people. But can I tell you, spiritual warfare is not that way. Spiritual warfare is, number one, a necessity for us. We feel like, no, we don't have to worry about that, Pastor Scott. We can just continue doing what we're always doing and just stay faithful and keep our attitude. And those things are good and those things aren't true. But that does not mean that the enemy says, I respect them for that. That's good. Listen, look at how they're reading their Bible. They are on their 15th new version plan. Let that guy alone. I wish that's what it took, but it's not that way. So you should know spiritual warfare is a necessity for us. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Or designs literally means his minds or his thoughts. Do you not know that Satan's mind and his thought is continually on you? It cannot be towards Christ because Christ has conquered him. So he, the next best thing for him is to go after his kids. You guys know, they can mess with you all day, all day, but when they mess with your kids, it's a big deal, right? And Satan knows that. Jesus tells us to cast out devils in Mark 7, 16, 17. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. If if greater works we will do than Christ has did, then what about when he did good and healed all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him, like Acts 10.38 says. Spiritual warfare is a necessity for all of us. But also, spiritual warfare is real. But the battle was fought at Calvary. It's already done. That's the thing. So 1 John 4.4 says this, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? 1 John 3.8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. John 16.11 says, concerning judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. Without this understanding, everything we learn is baseless and useless until we learn to associate that victory equals Calvary and Calvary equals victory. 
It starts there. It starts there. So with that said, today I want to talk about two things. First off is that victory is lost when our fear surpasses his finish. Victory is lost when our fear surpasses his finish. And the second thing is great storms come with great calms. Our view of spiritual warfare must begin with the basic understanding that Jesus has already accomplished victory over Satan. You have to know that. So whatever the problem might be, and let me just say this. Are you saying, Pastor Scott, that are we talking about some real supernatural, spiritual, like demons coming into my home, spiritual warfare? Can I just remind you uh, that, that Paul struggled being able just to go to another city and said, Satan is hindering me. And so I want you to know that even the smallest things sometimes are in fact uh, spiritual warfare. Daniel prayed just to have understanding, and, and that, that understanding was fought long and hard for 21 days until that warfare was, was, was accomplished. So don't think, well, nothing real supernatural is happening in my life. You don't know that because you and I, we use these lies and we use these ears and we don't always think. And sometimes I think we give uh, devil less credit than he should. Not that I want to praise him, but I, I think sometimes we play naive to him. And Paul is saying, listen, it's not good for us to be that way. We need to pay attention. We ought to be as wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. And so we have to understand first and foremost as we approach spiritual warfare, uh, and we'll get into the full armor of God, but today I want to talk about this, just this primary introduction. First, we have to understand, you have to understand, write this down, memorize this, but know this, that Jesus has already accomplished the victory over Satan. Don't pray for victory, proclaim victory. There's two different ways to go about this. I'm not begging him for what he's already done. He already has done it. I just need to appropriate it. I need to apply it. And so this is the first thing. Nothing that you and I can do can add to the destructive work that Jesus did on the cross and then rose from the grave three days later. When he said, it is finished, he did not say, it is finished, so long as you finish. No. He doesn't need us to do anything. It is finished. What is finished, Pastor Scott? What, what did he mean when he said that? Well, come on over to Colossians 2, 13 through 15, and let's check it out. What did he mean? When you pray, when you tell the devil, uh-uh, it's finished. What are you saying? What do you mean by that? Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Notice the verbiage there is legal demands. There's a transfer of authority there. This he set aside where? Nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The NLT says it this way. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. It is finished. So before we get into the problems of whatever it might be and the difficulties that we might have and the experiences that don't line up with our belief because we say it's finished, but it don't feel like it's finished, just remember, it is finished. It is finished. Amen. I want to just talk to you about this verse here, Colossians 
These three words are important. And when you begin to unpack them, you realize what Jesus is telling us through the Holy Spirit's penmanship. What does he mean when he says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them into open shame by triumphing over them in him or on the cross? The word shame is uh, digmatizo. That means to display or better yet is to expose something. It's to expose it. In a classical Greek writing, here's, what we, here's how we see it used. They would take, the king would come back from a victory and he would bring in his procession all of the weapons that were used against his, his kingdom and he would show you all of the captives that would typically was the king and his entourage. Sometimes they'd march them naked to let you know there's, they are the most vulnerable they'll ever be. And not only would he bring them captives back, would he bring them weapons back, but he would also bring them the trophies back. And the trophies would tell them that we went into the darkest places of this person's domain, the most secure places, the most reserved places, the most guarded places, and you know what? We took his best stuff. He couldn't prevent us from taking his best stuff, so rest assured, people, he's not going to come take our best stuff. So when we see this king return, he's trying to tell us, he's trying to expose something, and he did all of this on the foreign soil. Now the Holy Spirit wants you to know this. What does he mean by that, Pastor Scott? He wants you to know that the devil has been utterly overcome. That all his weapons have been put on display, are powerless, and that the keys of death and hell have been robbed from him and are no longer part of the domain of darkness. And that he has been, there's no part of his, his area or his domain that's been left unconquered. All has been conquered. So when you hear that devil speak to your, your, your ear, he's speaking into you what you're not, what you've done, what you're probably going to be like. Because your dad was like that, and your grandpa was like that, and your great-grandpa was like that. And he brings all of his weapons of war hear me let them know I didn't seen all your stuff already because it says that you were exposed devil what does that tell me that tells me no generational curse no shame no slander no sin no strategy no strife no future failure no temptation no strategy not one thing is left in his arsenal that can separate me and undo the finality that Christ did for me on the cross that's what that means. What does that mean to you? I don't mean that in a rhetorical way. I'm asking you right now, what does that mean to you? What does the finality of the cross mean in your life right now? What are you struggling with? Where's your doubt? Where's your fear? What are you second-guessing right now? And what does the finality of the cross say about that moment? If we're going to really grapple with the word, what does the word say to our present condition? We're not just trying to build up amens and hallelujahs so we can walk out of here only to get our sins kicked in tomorrow and then falter. No, I'm, I'm asking you today, what does the finality of the cross do for your situation today? Have you even recognized your situation? Have you even declared what it will not be? What is it? And then to add to that, he uses a word for open called peresia, and that means boldness or confidence. 
When he said he put him to shame, he says open shame. And that open shame means this, is that when Jesus did this, he did this with boldness or confidence. Maybe the better way to understand this was through obnoxious behavior, loud, demonstrative behavior. Do you have anybody in your life that is a bit bold, a bit confident, a bit loud? You might even call them obnoxious. Do you know anybody's children that might be obnoxious? An obnoxious person does not allow you to overlook them. Does not allow you to ignore them. They demand attention and they get attention. And Jesus, when he went in and put the enemy to shame, he did it as divinely and holy, obnoxiously as possible, that when he went before all of heaven and earth and all of creation and all the sons of God saw what he did, I guarantee you that this wasn't a meek, timid Jesus who hung on the cross and, and said, Father, forgive them. No, no, I, I believe, and I'm not going to get loud today because I don't want to blow your ears out, but I think you know how Jesus celebrated the fact that everyone in this church this morning was overcome, every situation that was in their life was overcome, and that God set you free, not just from sin but every temptation every strategy every plan of the devil he overcame for you for you Jesus when he said it was finished he descended into the depths of darkness he was uninvited uninhibited and left undisputed that's my Jesus matter of fact that's my king that's who I'm talking about this morning he returned as a king who returns from a victorious battle boldly confidently loudly exposing this now defunct foe to heaven that's who I'm talking about this morning I say bring it this morning what do you got devil do you do you not know who I rest in do you not know where my shelter is? Do you not know who my rock is? Do you not know who my shield is? Don't think for a second I'm afraid because I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I don't even got to look over my shoulder and know. I feel his presence. I feel his strength. I feel his power. And I know it innately. And I read it in the word. I see that he's there. He did it triumphing. The word is triamvevo. That means he did it in a loud, overtly celebratory way, but he did it in a grand parade. A grand parade for a king was paramount because they only, they only gave grand parades to kings when they went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from. Is there any old saints in the building this morning? I know what I'm talking about. Mm. He... He touched my body. He healed my mind. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Look what the Lord has done. Man. Caleb. You better get ready. You better get ready. And so what we see here is that the God you serve triumphantly did not just defend his castle. No, 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 no. He was on the offense. Can I tell you that we're not called to be defensive Christians? My God does not send back and defend his castle. 
Everything that is not like him or in opposed to him, he goes to rectify the issue because he is God over all things. There's no territory that he won't venture. There's no problem that he can't fix. There's no demon who has some crafty plan. There's nowhere that he won't go, no thing that he might touch because all things have been subjected under his rule. The basis of all our understanding when it comes to spiritual warfare is simply this. And as we approach the realms of teaching, as we lead ourselves into um, uh, doctrine and understanding, what does that mean? How do we approach with confidence? It all hangs on these three words. It is finished. I need someone to tell all of hell that's been chasing you, attacking you, after your emotions, your identity, trying to afflict you with fear, anxiety, doubt, hopelessness, that it is finished. You can't have my mind. You can't have my, my marriage. You can't have my children. You can't have my church. You can't have my future. You can't have my promise. You can't have my peace. And you can't have my praise. It's mine. Why, Scott? Settle down, Scott. Settle down. Settle down. It's mine. Last week, we celebrated what he went through for us, what he did for us. And I'll not let some small thing, small thing, whether that small thing starts in here or that small thing starts in here or that small thing starts out there, I'll not let one thing, whether it comes from me or it's against me, I'll not let one thing derive me of the very thing that he has given me, and that is the passion and the purpose to praise. I was created to worship. I was created to worship. I was created to worship in difficult places. And so the same voice that said, it is finished, said, peace be still. He knows something about authority today, church. Matthew 28, 18 says this. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Luke 10, 19 says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, now here's the question we might have. Pastor Scott, why does the wind still rage and the boat still continue to sink if it, in fact, is finished? See, I, I, I want to, I wanna, I'm so glad you taught me the cheers, but I want to know how the game plan really works on the field. I want to be encouraged in those hard moments, but I need to see how it's going to work out. And that is the difficulty that you and I have sometimes is that we can get pumped up, right? We can, we can, get, we can get into it, but when we have to meet the storm face to face, then we say, now what? Now what? Wake up, master. Wake up. Do you not know that the wind and the waves are raging? And so what does Jesus say to this? Mark 4.40 says this. He says, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? Jesus equates the fact that the disciples' fear in the storm was the evidence of their lack of faith. The disciples were seeing things in the natural what instead they should have been looking in the supernatural. And that's how you and I get. We say, well, is the Lord going to do anything? Well, I don't know. Are you measuring the natural? Is that your test tube? Is, 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 are, you, are you putting the situation, shaking it up, add a few acts, uh, things of reagent, and looking at it and saying, is this, is this, have you looked in the supernatural? 
Because the supernatural is based on the word of God. It cannot cross the word of God. It has to obey his command. And so these things they, they were afraid of is because they had presented. That's how the enemy comes. They were presented in the natural. But our response to them is not supposed to be in the natural, although, it's a, although that's how we often do that, right? And that's why Jesus says to them, do you still have no faith? Jesus' question isn't directed at the current situation. Rather, all the situations in which he had proved to him why they should have faith. Do you still, still have no faith? After all I've done for you, do you still have no faith? Mm. I could paraphrase it like this. Why are you so afraid? Are you not remembering all that I have done for you, disciples? Huh? In fact, the Greek word really says this. It's a not yet kind of faith. Not yet. Have you not, do you not yet have that faith? Mark 8, 14 kind of shows a bit of a character on this. They're in another boat situation. He uses this word, steal, upa, not yet again. And, and they're back in the natural, thinking about natural stuff. Jesus is over here in the spiritual. Y'all know how this is just typical. And so it starts off in verse 14 like this. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, Jesus sees the boat, he sees the bread, and, and Jesus' mind goes straight to the spiritual stuff, right? Because he only got three years of teaching this stuff and before he has to go. And so he's, he's on the things that matter. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, what that means basically, because you know Jesus likes to speak in these riddles. The leaven is those things that cause you to, to be like the world. And he says, don't think about kingdoms. Like the Pharisees thinking about kingdoms. Don't think about kingdoms like Herod thinks about kingdoms because that leaven will mess you up. They don't know that, though. <laughs> they're thinking about bread, right? They're, they're thinking about bread. They got bread in there. We only have one loaf, guys. What are we going to do, you know? And Jesus is talking about leaven of Herod and Pharisee. And they begin discussing with one another the fact they only have, they have no bread. And Jesus was aware of this, and he says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Well, I'm talking about leaven of the Pharisee and uh, of, of Herod, and you're over here talking about, well, we don't got no bread. I don't know how we're going to make it across the river. What are you talking about? And he says, do you not yet? perceive or understand are your hearts hardened have having eyes do you not see having ears do you not hear and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets were full twelve there were twelve there master that's right and the seven for the four thousand how many baskets were left over seven there were seven left over and he said to them do you not yet understand you see, I proved to you in the way that you needed proof. I gave you natural proof. I'm asking you, do you not see that I did that? Did you not hear that I did that? Do you not remember? The Lord is even speaking to the natural things about the supernatural, and they still don't get it. They still don't get it. And so what is the Lord telling us? He's saying when we fear, when we are afraid, when we fail to have faith, it's really the fact that we forgot to remember what he's already done. The fact that he said it is finished. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're 
afraid about. I don't know what you're timid about. I don't know what your lack of faith might be. But I would tell you this morning, like I believe Jesus is telling us today, go back and remember. Go back to the time when he did this and that and this and that. And to be honest, you should not be here right now. If I have to be clear and open and honest with you, do you understand that today I preach to you as a felon of the United States that I should not have no credibility, no understanding. I didn't go to Bible school. And for all good reasons, I should not be fit to preach this word to you. But it doesn't matter because he was faithful there and there and there and there and there and there. And I'm not who I used to be. I'm entirely brand new because I remember all the things that he did for me. And it gave me confidence to take the next step and the next step and the next step and the next step. And even if I get afraid of tomorrow, I just look back to yesterday and say, he was faithful. I'm not full of faith. I just don't forget stuff. And this morning, that's what I'm asking you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What has the Lord done for you? Have you journaled it? Have you written upon your heart? Is he able to do beyond what you could ask, what you can think, or what you can imagine? Or is he a small God? Is he just what you need? Because if he was anything bigger, it may be risky. I can tell you, Jesus wants you to remember. The point of remembering in this moment is so that you fear, that your fear doesn't minimize his finish. Don't let your fear minimize his finish. You'll never be able. There's nothing you can do that can minimize his finish. It only is a problem to you. But his power and his finality is still just as strong. As I wrap up in the and the worship team comes back. I want to wrap up this last little piece. I think it's so important. So, so he comes and he wakes up, right? He's on the boat. And as he's on the boat, he, uh, he's looking around and the disciples are crazy <laughs> because they're about to drown. And there's, the boat's filling up and the wind is, is raging. And then it says that this storm arose. It just arose out of nowhere. Now, you guys know how the disciples were. They were accomplished fishermen, right? They would have saw things. They, they would have known. They knew that, that tonight was a great night for sailing. And so they hopped in a small boat. Now, I don't know how many were in there, but I'm just going to infer that it was 13 altogether. And that's a small boat for a lot of men, you know. And so... And so they're traveling across the sea, and, and as they do so, um, all of their natural abilities told them that they were safe, that they were good, but something arose. And, and the fact that it arose, in fact, that word arose was the same word that they use and talks about um, Paul and Silas when the earthquake suddenly happened. Nobody knew that the, the earthquake was coming. It just Boom, it was there. It just showed up out of nowhere. No one had a rector scale out there trying to figure out if it was coming or not. If there was quakes, it just happened at that moment for that reason. Now, was that earthquake, was it coincidental? I don't think so. 
And that's what the word is trying to tell us, that this occurrence was not coincidental. It happened instantaneously, but it happened intentionally. And here we have a storm. It's not a rainstorm. It's not a thunderstorm because you can see rain and you can hear thunder, but this was a windstorm. You can't see it, but you can feel it. And so it comes out of nowhere. They couldn't perceive it in the natural because the storm wasn't natural. It was supernatural. Why was it supernatural? Because I think sometimes we forget to read ahead of the story. Jesus was about to do one of his greatest works in ministry. He was going to release the demoniac of Gadara from the Gadarenes. This was a powerful moment. And Satan knew that this would be a loss to one of his prized possessions. He controlled that area and he did not want to lose a powerful milestone in his domain. And so what does he do? He attacks them off dry land. When they're vulnerable, because he knows that right on the edge of a, or right on the brink of something great, that's when the enemy comes right for you. Just when you get so close, just when you feel like you're close and there's no reason to worry at all, that's when that spiritual attack comes at you. A place of vulnerability, but it's also right before a place of greatness, because with a great storm came a great calm. Oh, I love the fact. That Jesus says, if, if you're going to, if you're going to do something great in terms of a spiritual attack on my people, just be ready, Satan, that whatever great storm you bring is going to be counteracted with a, a great calm. I, I, I just want to think through my health, my finances. I want to think through my family who's not saved yet. I want to think through all those aspects where I've walked through great storms and I look back and I say, great calm. Great calm, great calm, great calm. He did it the way only Jesus could. So this morning, I want to ask you, do you got a great storm? Do you got a great storm? Are you, are you ready for a great calm? Because all that takes for that great calm is for us to trust in the master and remember what he's done. I don't have faith right now, Pastor Scott. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if God's... Remember. Remember. Let your praise come back from remembering. Let your worship come from the remembering. He has been faithful. All of Scripture, even Paul says, all these things happen so that we might have teaching and understanding and instruction and knowing how to live. All, the whole Word of God. If you can't remember one thing, if you don't know God's done one thing for you, then open your Word and see the faithfulness of your Lord. Whatever the situation might be for you today, is simply this. He is faithful. I can tell you in the last probably two months, I've never seen, I've, I've never heard since I've been here, so many messages and phone calls and meetings with people over marriages and health and finances and relationships and you name it. I mean, it's been nonstop in the last two months. And the only thing that all these things have in common is that they all go to this church. And so I had to step back and say, mm, Lord, Lord, why is that? Why is that? I just cannot be coincidental. I know it's not because I think we've seen the Lord bless us 
We've seen his demonstration of his power here. We know the Lord is moving in this church. And because he is doing that, there's no clue. We, we, may, be in, we may be in path of a great storm. But can I tell you, throw me into it. Because I know a great calm is waiting. And if, if the Lord so uses us to bring us across the sea and liberate a city from a demonic possession of a man who's longing to be set free, if he can use this church to do that, folks, who's in the boat with me? Who's in the boat with me? I don't care. I don't care if it feels like it's sinking. I, I don't have to worry about how he's going to solve the day. At the end of it all, here's what I know about Jesus. He will provide again. He will provide again. Will you stand with me this morning? I, I really struggle how to, how to wrap this up. I just really feel like our response in this moment, whatever your situation is, can I just ask you, let's just be clear so we know. If you're saying, I I'm going through a storm, Pastor Scott, raise your hand. I just need to see where you're at. I'm going through a storm. I'm going through a storm. I'm going through a storm. Okay. So our response is to remember that he'll provide yet again. He'll provide yet again. And so I think what I want to do is just, let's just worship. Let's just worship. Because I, don't get me wrong, I think prayer is important. But let your worship be your prayer this morning. Let God know, God, you know I have need. I don't have to tell you that. But in spite of my need, here's how I feel. Here's how I'll stand. The boat may sink. I may be treading water. I may get in a breath of air every now and then. But I know that you will provide. That you'll save me. Because there is none like him who saves. Amen. Let me pray. And then they're going to lead us in worship. Father in heaven. I pray you would put in us, God, a spirit. Not a fear love, peace, of love, God, that makes us love people even though we're going through hard things and it's hard to give what we don't have. Give us a spirit of love. Give us a spirit of peace, God, that even though we can't understand the situation God, that we're currently in, we don't know the outcome of it, Father, exactly the details, we don't know. But God, instead of spirit of fear, God, give us a spirit of peace that surpasses all understanding. And then I pray, God, for a spirit of a sound mind. That that sound mind, God, would cause us to be rational and not lean to our feelings, God, not to be deceived by our heart, which is desperately sick. God, I pray that you would give us a peace, a love, and a sound mind. Father, that however long we have to walk this walk, Father, however long this spiritual battle may wage on father that we rest assured that we are not afraid because we know that yet again you will provide put in our hearts put in our spirits a declaration of praise in Jesus name we pray amen will you worship